Now he's gone. He must have fallen asleep. All right, you two look here and upstairs. I'm going to look downstairs. They're not here anymore. Just humor me, will you please? And look. Where am I? Jump boy. Freaks out there, welcome to another episode of the Everyday is Halloween podcast. I'm your host, as always, Horror Guy Keenan, bringing you some thrills, chills, and so much more in the world of Halloween and horror. Today is Record Store Day. I know a lot of you are really excited to go out and get some of these new vinyls that are exclusive to Record Store Day. Uh, I wish I could enjoy the day as much as a lot of you are. Um, you know, the COVID going on, it's, it's kind of hard to go out there and, and, and shop around others. But, you know, there's a lot of good independent record stores out there that are, uh, you know, doing socially distanced record store shopping where you can order your stuff online and pick them up and they drop them off right to your car. It's really cool stuff. So make sure your, your record store is doing that. That's a, that's a really cool thing. Uh, I've been seeing some people doing socially distanced uh, record and vinyl buying, which is really cool. Some really, really awesome uh, uh, vinyls out there right now, including uh, some in the UK, which was the Hammer Horror soundtracks. I thought was really neat to see on vinyl. Um, and one thing I really want to point out to you guys, if you haven't, uh, my good friend Aaron Lupton out at uh, Rumor Magazine. He just released with his co-author Jeff Spriglis. I hope I said that right. The second book in their series of, of, of vinyl covers and stories. This is Planet Wax. This is a sci-fi fantasy soundtrack uh, history and artistry book. Um, it collects all the vinyls from all over the years of, of sci-fi. Um, but that also kind of bleeds into your, you know, like um, Escape from New York, Jurassic Park, um, Ninja Turtles, things like that. Even like Roger Rabbit, Ghostbusters. So when we say sci-fi, it doesn't mean hard, hard sci-fi. There's a lot of fantasy in here. Uh, the first book obviously was about horror and collected a lot of the horror um, vinyls and, and gatefolds. And so there's some really cool stuff. This book is beautiful. It's a hardback. Uh, it's beyond gorgeous. Uh, the intros are really great to this one. I don't want to give away who reads them. 
Um, and if you get the Record Store Edition that came out on August 29th, it comes with a 7-inch EP soundtrack of Toby Hooper's 1986 film Invaders from Mars, which is really cool. Um, the, the press review that I got one does not come with the, the small vinyl, though, which is kind of sad, but is gorgeous. It collects some stuff that I didn't even know about with certain uh, releases and some stuff you can actually get today. So make sure to check out if Planet Wax is available in your area. Aaron, thank you so much for sending this out to me. Um, I, I enjoy building this collection and I hope uh, you guys get to check it out as well. But let's move into what's been out, what's been in the movie world right now. Well, not a lot. <laughs> movie theaters literally just opened back up. Um, I think we got New Mutants out. Uh, Tenant is out there. Uh, I know uh, Bill and Ted Face the Music is now out there, but that one also has the choice to either come to um, VOD or to go to the theaters, which I think is a great thing, especially for time right now. I mean, Bill and Ted pulled in seven million. I think no, sorry, New Mutants pulled in seven million at the box office. I think Bill and Ted pulled in about a million, uh, which are very low numbers for the box office. But I mean, I, of course, with where we're at right now, it's kind of hard for people to want to go out to see a film. Um, I've heard uh, uh, good things about New Moons. Uh, people say they really enjoy it. I'll see it eventually soon, maybe by the next podcast. Absolutely. I saw Bill and Ted Face the Music on VOD. Um, it was it was good. I definitely don't enjoy it as much as the first two. But maybe that's just because it's a new movie. I'm kind of like that with a lot of movies, especially being a critic. Uh, you know, when you give a star rating to certain things, in my mind, Bill and Ted, uh, their excellent adventure and bogus journey are both five-star films. To me, those are just perfect films for what they are, you know? Um, but it's hard to watch this one and, and just give it another five stars like it's a perfect movie because it's now on, you know, it's, I'm going to be a tad critical about it. Um, but it is fun. It, it has a very positive message and it's, it's a good time and it's great to see all the players back in their shoes again. Um, so yeah. Uh, as for horror, uh, Spree is a really good one that just came out. Uh, that stars uh, Steve Harrington. That's that's his real name, apparently. Joe Carey. Uh, from the Stranger Things. Uh, he's a streamer, and he's streaming being an Uber driver, and he picks up people and kills them. For all of you out there who don't know me, get ready. Because you're about to know me. Hey, I don't see any cops around. Should I blow this next one? Fucking hey! I'm Kurt. Hey guys. Hey guys. What's up guys? We're gonna inject this right on the label. Does this water have like a taste to it? Airtight. Well, watertight. <laughs> if you're not documenting yourself, you just don't exist. <laughs> the mouthfeel on this, otherworldly. What we're doing here is important. We're creating a brand. You don't know what this job's like. You Put don't that know. Fucking no. gun no. Away. Where are you going? I'm taking you home. This is not the way to my fucking house, Kurt. Oh no, not your home. My home. It's a, it's a lot of fun. Um, it, it's kind of cringy if you're not in the know of the the streaming world and YouTube kids and all that kind of jazz. If you're not familiar with it, it can be a tad um, annoying but if you kind of know about that stuff and how streaming and all that stuff is it's it's kind of amusing actually and and some of the kills are pretty good in it um, so I definitely recommend that one this month 
I also ventured out to the Florida Film Festival this year. Uh, this was the first time of me going into a theater since COVID. It was very interesting. Uh, I went and saw The Swerve, which was a, a film by Dean Capsulis. And uh, they talked to him after the movie. Uh, and he had some, you know, it was really cool hearing from him and his thoughts on making this. This is their first uh, feature. Very cool stuff. Um, it's about a mother who's not, it's not uh, appreciated at all. Um, and uh, you know the dark, the dark side of things of being a mother, uh, and just living day-to-day -day lives, and just you know longing or wanting something else, and um, just kind of being stuck there. And the dark side of things that can really come up with that. Uh, the next film that I saw was *Climate of the Hunter*. This is a, a film by uh, Mickey Reese. Uh, this is oh, I perfectly described it as it's like a Wes Anderson film with a tab of acid that. Uh, Don Curtis would really be appreciative of <laughs> the vampire director um, from Dark Shadows. I, I, it has this Dark Shadows feel to it, but also this uh, lonely cabin uh, world with a hint of just psychedelics. It's very hard to explain, but something that was very interesting and very vivid, I think it'll definitely grab a lot of people when it starts hitting the streaming services here very soon. And then the next one I saw, I believe on Shudder, uh, was Pentagore. It was an Asian horror film. Uh, this was uh, about a, a woman that inherits a house uh, in her ancestral village. And she's unaware of the members of the community that have been trying to uh, locate and kill her to remove the curse that has plagued them for years. What a cool idea, right? Uh, so if you're into things like Fatal Frame, the game, um, it, it kind of echoes uh, that kind of story. So if you like your Asian horror, definitely check out Pentagore. And last but not least, we have Aaron B. Kuntz's The Pale Door. You might be familiar with Aaron's work if you saw Scare Package that premiered on Shudder during Joe Bob Riggs' uh, Last Drive-In. Uh, the Pale Door is a little bit different than the Scare Package. This is a, a western uh, with cowboys that meets uh, witches. If that doesn't attract you, I don't know what does. Uh, but this thing's super gnarly, super fun. Kind of gives you that like bone tomahawk feel uh, with a, just a little bit more of a supernatural feel with a lot of really cool uh, actors in it. So make sure to check that one, which is out right now. Okay, so before we move on to our main guest of the evening, I want to thank all the Patreons out there for uh, helping me get the show going into the into the new good year, hopefully, when we're leaving 2020. Jesus Christ. But you guys, seriously, you help this show thrive and the community thrive over mutants and monsters for those of you who don't know we have the everyday's halloween podcast community called mutants and monsters uh we're located on discord we do movie nights um we, we talk about horror gaming we chat all freaking month year long uh it's a really cool community uh if you'd like we have a link in the description where you can join uh, but you know patreons are number one i try to give you guys the most interesting and cool stuff that I, I will not spread anywhere else, uh, including uh, Midnight Hour, which is a separate podcast from the Everyday Italian Podcast, and it's just strictly music. Uh, we're talking classic Halloween music, vintage music radio, to punk rock uh, horror music. Um, you know, I'm always trying to put something new in there, and it's about a 45-minute to an hour listen of really cool and original music on top of just pictures and other stuff we throw on the Patreons. Uh, and it's, you know, that's not very much. You know, you can either uh, throw in a dollar to say thanks. You can throw in six dollars to be at the top tier, and more if you just appreciate the show that much. Uh, so going down the line, we have Chris 
Hanalyn, thank you so much for the jack-o'-lantern subscription. Nick, thank you for being a pumpkin seed. Brittany Risher, thank you for being a pumpkin seed. Sarah Nicole, thank you for being a pumpkin seed. Thomas Fury, thank you for reading a jack-o'-lantern. Dustin Volger, thank you for being a jack-o'-lantern. And Seamus Burke, thank you for being a jack-o'-lantern as well. Dustin, I want to thank you for being the pumpkin king of the month for throwing in eight bucks. You freaking rock, my friend. All right. With all that said, let's move into our main event. So today's guest, I am very happy and excited about because I have been trying to mend the world of horror movies in gaming for so long. And I'm so happy that somebody has kind of stepped into those shoes and kind of is bringing that pioneered world to life very quickly too. within, what is it? 10 days of creating a game. You're probably wondering how you got here. I, listen, I won't beat around the bush. Bad news, you're infected. It must have happened during the last testing cycle, but it doesn't matter anymore. Uh, now for the harder part. We're going to have to give you uh, a cognitive kick. I'm joined today with Ted Henschke, uh, Dread Central and Dread XP. Welcome, man. Hey, what, man. Nice to uh, talk to you. And don't worry about the last name. It's uh, People screw it up all the time. It's like six consonants in a row. It's German right. as fuck. No one knows how to pronounce it. <laughs> so I wouldn't worry about it. Gotcha, gotcha. Cool. Yeah, because, I mean, everybody just knows you as Ted. You know, right? Everybody like, just knows me as Ted, yeah. It's my handle. It's my everything. For sure, yeah. No, it's crazy how all this kind of fell into my lap. Um, you know, I've just... I've been a, uh, a horror streamer for a while now and, you know, just kind of slowly getting into, uh, you know, the, the, the Twitch realm of things mm -hmm. and Discord and growing that stuff. And I was really, sh like, just shocked when I saw there was this cool little collection, the Dread X collection, and to see it was from uh, Dread Central of all places. Yeah. Um, can you tell me a little bit about how Dread Central got into gaming? Yeah, so um, it's, it's a bit of a long story, so I'll try to keep it as... as dense as I can, but mm -hmm. uh, I've been a journalist at Dread Central for a little over seven years now. Um, and, you know, it was always the case that at Dread Central, uh, the the goal from however long ago I remember since I started working there was always, you know, break into making films, start making indie movies and start making the content rather than just reporting on the content. Mm -hmm. And um, that's something we've been doing for a little while now. Uh, we had a movie come out four or five years ago, I can't remember, called uh, Zombieland. It was like this silly little anthology horror film that came out. Um, mm -hmm. And eventually uh, we we entered into a strategic partnership with Epic Pictures that allowed us to uh, kind of create the Dread label, which is a number of films have released under the Dread label, films like Terrifier mm -hmm. or uh, The Lodgers. And, you know, there's uh, Sea Fever recently came out under the Dread label. And it's just been really, really cool to see you know, that whole, that whole process. So anyways, there was a long-term dream that the people that, you know, founded Dread Central had to move from just making the news to actually making the things that are the news. Yeah. Um, and basically when we started Dread XP, uh, the gaming site, the goal was always to once again, have that focus on indie horror, trying to focus on reporting on indie stuff so that we can promote indie creators and eventually promote indie creators in more ways than just the news, but also through, you know, publishing distribution and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, the idea for Dread XP came uh, during E3 of last year when uh, the the owner of Dread Central came up to me and was like, hey, how do we uh, get 
your gaming coverage to be like this year round because we were sh- I think we shot 50 videos at E3 last year. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, I was like, oh, I need my like own website because there's only so much front page space for the stuff I want to do. Sure, and I feel and, like uh, you'd be taking over the website more or less than it would be like movie because movie stuff kind of rolls out sporadically. Whereas like when the gaming season's happening, it's happening, you know? Well, that's the thing is that there's a lot to horror culture. And there's a lot to the film space um, because mm-hmm. not only do you have the film space, but then you have like, oh, what are these licensed toys for the film space? What is mm-hmm. this actor doing in their life? The the thing that's different about film and game journalism is that like if the 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 director, well, there's no real stars in in horror gaming. It's like if the the voice actor for fucking game Resident Evil Seven is in another game, it's not really news. Yeah. Whereas if Tom Hardy is going to be in another movie, everyone flocks to that news. Or, you know, if uh, any horror icon dies or has a birthday, it's always like something to talk about. Right. Um, so basically the, the problem is, is that uh, a lot of that conversation can drown out anything else. So I, I always knew that if I wanted to do a gaming site and I wanted to focus on indie, uh, I would need to have a space to do that. That wouldn't get drowned out by news of, you know, something like the passing of Sid Haig or something like sure, that. Sure, yeah. Um, so, uh, and also with the amount the, the amount of new stuff I wanted to do, I just needed a different way to format the front page. So anyways, long story short is that they were like, well, what do you need to bring your content to the next level year-round? And I was like, I don't know, I need my own website. And then they, like, gave me my own site. And I was like, oh, I guess I have to do this thing now. Yeah. So I kind of, like, stumbled <laughs> my way. Uh, after years of being with the site into this position where I could, you know, launch my own thing, um, you know, and we're still, we're still uh, sister sites with Dread Central. We, we cross post all our content from Dread XP to Dread Central. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that's just, that's, we're really just doing that to try to get uh, uh, a lot of eyes on the, 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 the indie stuff that we're covering. Sure. Um, yeah. But it's been really, really great. And um, basically what happened is uh, I, I know that this is a very long answer, but like I said, this is kind of no, to- totally fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So basically, what happened is that uh, the goal of Dread XP was always to do it like we had done Dread Central. We were going to have the, the the website kind of do its own thing for a year, trying to gain traffic through the, the website and trying to see how the reception is to the tone and the feel of the website. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, uh, once that year has passed, we could then start looking at publishing small projects. Well, um, so to give you some context, we, we really didn't roll out Dread XP until uh, about December, January. Mm-hmm. Um, December, like we officially technically launched in October, but like we weren't really putting up content until January. January is when we kind of like started actually trying to wrap up the site. Okay. Um, anyways, uh, so, you know, the site had been in full swing for a couple of months and, and COVID hit. Um, and, you know, so back in March... Uh, we were on this call for the whole company and they were talking about, you know, what are we going to do? Because we need, you can't really shoot new films right now. Right. Um, you know, but what we can do is try to find other projects to invest in. In the meantime, uh, A, to keep things moving, but also so that we can, you know, find ways to to create jobs during the pandemic. Sure, yeah, um, that's great. And Yeah, and so for me, it was like, Basically, we're on this call. Uh, we have these ideas for these. Uh, we actually did one of these other ideas too, which was this. Um, it was sixty second film jam, where basically you'd sent in short films that were filmed on your phone in like sixty seconds. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, "Well, what if we make a game?" And um, 
they were like, well, how long does it take to make a game? And I was like, well, <laughs> you know, like a year at least. If right. that, you know, it's probably like two years. And they're like, well, we, we'll, we, we aren't sure because of the financial instability of the pandemic if we can invest in this big project right now. I was like, well, okay, what if we do a game jam instead? Mm -hmm. um, so originally I, I was like, well, what if we do a game jam? But instead of having it be a regular game jam, what if we only invite people that have done game jams that have like won game jams or, or have released full titles before that have uh, products that like, you know, people like a style that people like and that can deliver in this like time frame. Yeah. So I was like, let me let me get 10 developers together. We'll host what we'll call a curated jam, which is just the, the just them, no outside uh, contributions, mm -hmm. and um, you know, then package it all together with this this wraparound story, you know, something that give the, the, the it some context, and we'll sell it as an anthology series. So you know, basically, we're trying to make the VHS of uh, VHS being the movie VHS, as you know, right? Yes. Uh, yes of games, uh -huh. or something like that. I, I know that there's plenty of other anthology series out there. I'm not some millennial. I know about Trilogy of Terror. <laughs> I know about Creepshow. Like I'm, right. I'm well-versed in all of that. I'm just, I just- Well, I mean, the tapes are also this. inside this game as well. So it kind yeah. of makes sense. Well, and I, I think that um, a lot, what a lot of people don't know about anthology films like that, like VHS, is like the, the, the films in a lot of anthology films aren't like originally part of an anthology. Mm-hmm. Um, they're originally short films that then get picked up as the anthology. Right. Like that's how most of them come to be. Um, and I, I think that, uh, so when we did this one, it was like, okay, we had to answer a few questions right away. So it was like, do we want people to just like, do you want to just take a bunch of free games and pack them together? We're like, no, we don't really want to do that. We want to like actually create something new and unique for people. Um, and so that was, that was, you know, a couple of people have asked if they can just, you know, include their game in the Dradix collection. That's like a previous game they've been working on. And I'm like, no, it has to be a new original title anyways. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's where the, the, the idea for the Dradix collection came from is really, uh, I wanted a way to employ indie devs during the pandemic because unfortunately the, 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 the sad reality of indie game development is that a lot of people can't make their bones doing it. I mean, mm -hmm. you can work 40 hours a week for two years on your passion project game and then it releases and no one buys it and that's just two years of waste of time and like Painful. you know with the, the very yeah it, it, it is and with the the very crowded video game market it can be really really like that sunk cost is huge i mean there's a reason that we're seeing more and more focus on triple a i mean i don't know if you've noticed this but recently there's been this this bigger trend back towards triple a and away from india i mean we're, we're far away from the 2012 summer of indie where we got games like limbo and uh uh what's the what am i how am i forgetting the name of that stupid game braid uh a lot of stuff and, right um, yeah indie darlings you know, one, yeah indie darlings and we're once again we're getting to a point where every single game is like a major franchise installment or a spinoff of a major franchise i mean like you yeah. look at you're you're looking at the video game landscape and what are people talking about it's halo 17 it's assassin's creed 24 all the dc games, games that got announced yesterday like. the dc games just got announced i'm not saying that any of those games look bad but it's like hey here's another suicide squad i think this is the fifth reimagining of the suicide squad we've gotten in 10 years and it's yeah. like okay so we're just we're just continually rehashing the same ideas over and over again mm -hmm. and i don't really like that however there's a reason that companies do that is because you can bank on a franchise to make a lot of money and the sunk cost that you'd need of 
putting what I, I would guess that, that the new Rocksteady uh, Batman game or Su- uh, Suicide Squad game probably is like hundred million dollars at the least. He's like make that whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and how many devs are on that working day and night ripping their hair out? I know. Right. But they can be pretty sure that there's going to be a return on that. So it's yeah. so it's hard to find a balance between like a good investment in a game and the amount of return that you're going to like can conceivably get. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, when we're when we're looking to do a short term project, we were like, well, instead of doing 100,000 batch into one indie developer, let's post this thing where we get to see a bunch of really cool ideas and kind of use it as a way not only to get exposure to the developers, you know, pay them for their their, their amount of time, expose expose the developers to the public, but also, you know, use it as a proof in concept for some future ideas. So we mm-hmm. wanted it always to be the case that certain games. So that's why the, that that was that was the inspiration behind the first bundle. Gotcha. Um, was PT, uh, mm-hmm. playable teaser. Yes. Um, everyone, I'm sure, is familiar with PT that mm-hmm. is listening. I yes. mean, it's like the the horror game that everyone's been trying to capture that lightning in a bottle. Yeah. In it, the past. And if you don't, it's the Silent Hills, uh, was it player demo that just kind of came out and then the game never actually it was called, released. Yeah, PT stands for playable teaser. Yes. And so it was a playable teaser for the game. So instead of having a teaser trailer, they created this little demo. It was, it was fantastic. Perfect. People yeah. loved it. Yeah. And I think that a big part of why it's so legendary is because, you know, Silent Hills never came to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so what we wanted to do was to try to create something that captured the spirit of PT, mm-hmm. which wasn't, I didn't want to like just have 10 games that were trying to make the spookiest hallway. Sure. You know? Yeah. <laughs> um, but my, it was like, Hey, let's, here's money to make the playable teaser for the game that you want to make. So it's like, make, your playable teaser for your game so it's it's mm-hmm. a small short game that's wrapped up in itself it has its own plot arc it has its own like it's self-contained mm-hmm. but it's also an introduction to this larger world and that's where we got games like summer night and the pony factory and like you know a lot of really 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 cool stuff in that uh, shatter i love shatter yes um there's some really cool games in that collection mm-hmm. um yeah but you know the the the, the premise was instead of making indie developers not get paid for so long or only get paid by working on these projects for a larger company mm-hmm. instead let them get paid for making what they want you know making this smaller product that could then launch as a work as a like a proof of concept and so yeah. many devs that yeah and so many devs that we had in the first collection were were just you know saying I, i've wanted to do something like this for so long but i can't like even if they have money they can't really justify taking the time off of work because I'm not even talking about like the ones that have day jobs, but the ones that are like they're they're, they're full time developers, and they're like, look, I've always really wanted to work on this kind of idea that I had, but I didn't, I couldn't justify it when I have to like feed my kids, right? You know, yeah. so being able to do something like this was really cool for them. Yeah, they're finally um, on their downtime, and it's like, okay, you have a window. Is that kind of where the ten days thing kind of came into play? Was that with the first game, or is that only with the second game? No, so the first the first collection was all made in seven days. Seven days, okay. Um, like the 10 days actually came from uh, the fact that the seven days, like they weren't, well, okay. So the main issue was that when we did the first one, we wanted it to be as easy on the developers as possible. Mm-hmm. So um, we had the seven day limit and, uh, but we let them do that over the course of a month. So if you're like, okay, like take a day here, take a day there, you do it over the course of a month, you get, uh, uh, you come out the other end, uh, you know, of that month with seven days of work put in, that's fine. Um, you know, as long as you put the seven days in over that, that period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, 
now the unfortunate thing is is that with those seven days uh there were certain functionalities that i didn't realize would take more time or certain ways to program like i'm not a coder myself so uh -huh. i don't really know how it works mm -hmm. um but my idea was like okay so we'll put the seven days in for this first one and then we can come back later and add functionality like key rebinding or subtitles or you know optimization for this and that yeah. And when I was like, let's go back and do that, they're like, that's going to take like longer than it took to make the game. <laughs> so I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? They're like, we have to rip out our code and like change the infrastructure. Oh, no. Like, oh my God, I had no idea about any of this. And it felt really bad because there's a bunch of, um, you know, like movement impaired gamers that wanted to play the game. You can't do that if you like, if you don't have key rebinding in your game, that won't work with adaptive controllers. And I'm like, right. Oh, yes. I, I felt really bad about that because I, I genuinely wanted to accommodate those gamers. I just like didn't realize it would be so much an issue because like I'm, I'm not like a professional. Well, I guess I am a fucking professional video game maker now. <laughs> now <but> you are. <laughs> now I am. But like you know, back then I was like, oh shit, I didn't know this. So it's been a learning process. But so sure. the ten day time, the ten day, the ten days for this one was actually uh, more time. Uh, we we also we increased the pay proportionally, mm -hmm. um, but it was more time to add uh, like functionality to the game. So like uh, controller rebinding subtitles and things like that you know things to make yeah. the game more accessible so most of the extra budget that we put in for this 10-day time was for accessibility stuff mm -hmm. cool okay uh, and what would you say um whenever you want to whenever you look for something for these collections like i know you were saying like you kind of got the the feel off the vhs vibe i actually thought a little bit about um have you ever attended howling horror nights uh yes i have several okay. times i love that stuff gotcha so they they have a really cool concept where it's like you know you they kind of build a, a mythos between every house and you kind of have the name for it and you look at it and it kind of gives you a little blurb and you go through the house and you that's kind of all you really need you only really need like a paragraph to tell you what you're about to enter into and then you enter into it and you get immersed and i feel like dread uh collection has that same kind of feeling i just really enjoy the now um the, the, the hub area that's like the haunted house in the second game where you're now yeah. telling there's another story a Lovecraftian almost story uh, being told while you're getting the keys to enter these locations so it's like layers and layers which is which yeah. is a beautiful thing well and then also you, you have to consider that the story for the second is actually a continuation of the story from the first but a lot of people missed because I made it too subtle oh with the doctor <laughs> yeah yeah so I, I wrote the story for the first and the second game um, and uh, so the first game is, is supposed to be told from the point of view of uh, uh, of a scientist doctor person mm -hmm. who is working in this facility that's... I, I, I haven't quite revealed what it is yet, but they do experiments to try to cure of a, a mind virus. Yes. Um, and that's largely told through contextual cues. So you have these little notes that you can read before playing each of the games. Mm -hmm. And um, they, they are supposed to be... I was hoping that people would get this more, but I, I I didn't put enough hints in, so it's not really it's really my fault. But uh, the, the the point was supposed to be that um, this these documents were from the world of the game, like they're they're from this alternate reality that the game takes place in, mm -hmm. and they are related to ten different subjects that this guy is doing tests on. So each of the games was supposed to be a visual representation of the test subject being our 10 developers. And it was supposed to be this interplay between the developers being the test subjects and the person doing experiments on them mm -hmm. and trying to cure them of the virus. And gotcha. um, yeah, well, and it's, it's, it's supposed to set up. Uh, and the, the reason I'm kind of 
struggling to describe it is because I'm trying not to spoil anything because there's still right. stuff we have yet to reveal. Yeah. Um, but the first game is about a a a. It's it's literally about a scientist trying to reclaim their objectivity by creating a mind palace of these ten different subjects they have, and those are the ten different games. And I did a very poor job of conveying that outside of very cryptic hints, including mm -hmm. the secret ending of the game. Um, but with the second one, we, we wanted to get a little bit more uh, direct with the story. So we have the voiceover, once again, done by Leo Wiggins, who did the first game. Mm -hmm. um, and we're kind of explaining uh, that there is a... that he is trying to then apply these tests to this other person uh, that wakes up in this house. Um, where is the person doing the tests? Is the t Are the tests successful? What are this, the art ulterior motives? Right. Those are all still questions that we're still answering in the series, um, which I think that people are going to like the answers that we have. But I think more importantly is that we have the comic in this one that which I love those sheets. That's such a cool idea. How did you guys? How did you reach out to uh, artists? Like, did you, I'm guessing you just went to the communities that like made art for the games, and they kind of just told their friends, and then it kind of just became like that kind of thing. No, um, the art. I know this will make me sound like I'm not like a real business professional, which is totally fine because I'm not. But I'm, I'm <laughs> we're like, all winging it. <laughs> I, I'm a very very lucky person. Mm -hmm. Like I I just I, I put all my stats into luck, and everything else is like a zero. So uh, roll those I, just, dice. I just I just roll the dice whenever I fucking can. Yeah. Um. You know, like how I got a lot of developers on, like how I've gotten pretty much every developer for the Dreadx collection is I just like cold DM them on Twitter. I'm and like, that's hey, great. Want to be in this collection? Yeah. Yeah. The, I mean, like the community's huge. Believe it or not, like everybody's really tight with each other, and they're a very cool community. Like I can see it happening like that. But like you know, for for this this collection, we have uh, Panstaws who did world of horror and mm. uh you know he's a big name now world of horror did overwhelmingly well yeah he doesn't need he doesn't need my indie money you know he, uh -huh. he he's got he's got cash dollars and i just dm'd him i was like hey you want to be in this game jam i know that you're doing world of horror stuff he's like yeah and i was like cool he's like yeah that'd be fun side project that's awesome yeah, whatever how is the language barrier by the way for a lot of these devs that are outside of america um so far, the language pair has only really been an issue with a singular dev, but he, mm -hmm. he, it's not like he couldn't, it's not like the language barrier was a problem with me communicating with him. It was more that during interviews, he got nervous because it's like, it's not his native language. And I totally understand. Like yeah. I, I speak, I speak rudimentary Spanish, like just enough to be like, yo, hero Taco Bell, you know, like, <laughs> right. and if anyone was like, you have to do this whole interview in Spanish, I'd be like, fuck that. It's you know, happening. like, so I totally get it. Yeah. Um, but anyways, the, the question was about the artist for the, uh, yes. the comic. So the artist uh, is is uh, at Sissel the Cat on Twitter. It's uh, Rourke Keenan. He's uh, he's actually a writer, one of the editors for Rely on Horror, which is another gaming oh, cool. site. Yeah. And um, honestly, I, I joined the Rely on Horror community. I followed them on Steam for quite a long time because they have a very well-known curator presence. But uh, I am, um, you know, I've... I joined their community around the, the, the time we were trying to promote the first one just to try to see, hey, would you like to, like, check this game out? I was doing my normal marketing stuff. But sure. for me, like, normal marketing stuff is just me being friendly. And mm -hmm. it turns out that when I'm friendly to people, um, I then become friends with them. So I mean, believe uh, it or not, being friendly can kind of get you, get you good people around you, you know? like I, I am, like, the least hard-assed business person ever. Let me rephrase that. 
I'm very hard-assed when it comes to like supporting my devs and things like that. Uh -huh. But is that why they call um, you sexy.jpg in some or PNG? I didn't actually know about that until the final <laughs> release candidate. That was something that the the developers snuck in. Um, I actually so in another late night, there's a folder that says a uh, porn, and the there's a image. There's several images of me in the porn folder. Mm -hmm. um, none of them are actually pornographic. But they're all various uh, sexy.png. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't give him any of those photos. I have no idea how he got them. Like, I'm not oh, kidding. No. Like, they're on my Facebook, as far as I know. Like, I don't know how he got them. Yeah. And I was like, that is truly terrifying. And I left it in because it scared me for sure. And that's that's what we're here to do. Right. I say you're you're working on all these tiny little horror games and, and reading what everybody else is making. And then slowly but surely you're being consumed into one without even knowing it. Ah. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of what that game is about too. Um, I know I just started it, so I was just like, okay, I got to talk to you first a little bit <laughs> when I saw that. <laughs> um, anyways, let, just real quick, like I said, Rourke Keenan, mm -hmm. uh, he does a comic called The Mictalad that he just started. I saw him doing that comic. I liked his art style. I, I really liked his kind of like ethereal visuals, and I wanted to see what he could do with what we wanted. And he he did a stellar job. I mean, and it mm -hmm. was. It was fucking fantastic. So big shout out to Rourke and all the guys over at Rely on Horror. They're a great site. I love, uh, they're like really the most reliable source for uh, any, you know, video game news and, and rumors and such. Uh, they, they are always very quick to, you know, correct any rumors or mistakes. Um, I, I mean, I shouldn't say that they're the best. I mean, Dread XP is the best, of course. Right, that's right, that's yeah. my website. But <laughs> no, they're, they're a bunch of great guys. Um, and, you know, I always, I always just like to give give props where it's due because i think that it's very easy in this uh industry to become uh combat combative competitive with uh, your you know competitors oh my god but i don't really see why it needs to be that way i mean it does we're all here to have fun and to like enjoy what we enjoy um the the the, the fu fucking kind of gatekeeping cockfighting bullshit like i don't i don't care about yeah i, I just yeah. That stuff's been going on between websites, you know, all especially if, if you know from like covering movies, like that whole community. Like, as, as much as I love horror movies, sometimes it can get a little a bit much to the point where people don't even want to log into Twitter for a few weeks. Yeah. <laughs> I think, I think that the, the, the zeal, the genuine zeal to do good in the world kind of consumes your ability to be rational. Mm -hmm. um, Definitely. And I, I think that that extends itself to the. You want everyone wants to have a spot in this world to, to feel like they're important to the master of their own kingdom in some way, mm -hmm. and, and, and in many ways we are. I mean, we're the only ones responsible for our own decisions and our choices and our bodies and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, that being said, a lot of people use their fandom as an extension of their personality. You know, I I've been a horror fan for my whole life, and if you haven't been watching horror films as long as me, you are less good than me. And, uh, and that's the annoying thing is that you know I'm 30. I didn't grow up watching fucking Halloween and shit. Um, mm -hmm. You know when I was when I was younger. I mean I, I grew up. My first horror film was probably Jurassic Park, which you can say is not a horror film, but I disagree. As I hit them to the covers, as the scary Velociraptors, you know. Yeah, only a bloody lamb landed on the front of their uh, their jeep. Like I mean, that's pretty scary. I, I'm the same way. Like Jurassic Park was probably one of the first horror films that I saw that really kind of, you know, made you freaked out. Yeah, exactly, and. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of people that are like, oh, you haven't, like, I mean, I, now I have, but back when I was, like, uh, earlier in my horror career, they were like, oh, you haven't watched all of the Hall Halloweens? Like, you're not a fan. 
And um, like, I don't, I don't really get that. Like, I don't understand the, the obsession with needing to like know every celebrity that did everything. And I understand that if you want to be an authority on something, you should know these things. But I wasn't trying to say I was an authority on shit. Back yeah, now. you could still be a huge fan and have not seen things, which is the only the only thing you do is just build somebody up and say, oh, it's really good. You should check it out. And then that gets them excited and you move on, you know, not belittle that person because they haven't played this or watched that. Yeah. And I, 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 I totally agree, but I, 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 but I think that horror is unique in all the genres for drawing in a certain specific kind of gatekeeping mm-hmm. that others that other genres don't bring in, which is the eternal question of is this a horror movie? Oh yes, you know, like the people like Jurassic Park. Is, we this talked a, about. <laughs> is is this a drama? Is this an action movie? People don't say that, it, it, but. Is this a horror movie? Like, is something that people will fucking debate about? Yeah. And I, I, I've always hated that because now you have these subcategories of horror versus elevated horror versus you know, it's, it's like a special drama. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's it's like, and I don't know. It's I I don't. I've never found horror to be. I don't find horror to be its best when the lines are drawn so clearly. Mm-hmm. Like I feel that draw the lines to make our own categorizations we us feel better about our own categorizations like we put up those walls to feel better about ourselves not to like make the genre better and when you do that you miss films that genuinely can push the genre i mean like okay i watched relic recently have you seen relic yes yeah fantastic film and there's a lot of people saying well it's not really horror it's more like a genre oh i'm God. like it has an old lady like cutting off her own face and they're like yeah but it's like and i'm like why are you why are you quit putting a label to it tears? yeah yeah like, and, so that's always what i've been interested in for making horror games like that mentality of bringing that into making the games when i go to my developers i say make what you want make something that you think is interesting i don't say make the scariest game you fucking can because like everyone there's a default way to scare people and that's to throw slender man in their face or mm-hmm. to put as many dead babies on screen as once as you can. And there's a specific kind of hiding in the cupboards gameplay that you get. And keep in mind, I have no problem with any of this. I, sure. I like those games just fine. I, but I always am looking for what is the next thing that's going to explode the genre. What's going to really change things. Yeah. Look at world of horror, the game, like that was just kind of a a game that everyone's like, Oh, this guy's been making this in uh, MS paint for like over like how many years, like two through two years or something like that. And it also, like finally, like it had enough buzz and it came out and everybody just devoured it because it was like something different. And it wasn't a triple a title. It wasn't, you know, it was something unique and different. And it's because you didn't put that label on it. It was just like, Hey, I like Junji Ido and it's going to reminisce of that. And that's it. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah, Panstaz is just some Polish dentist and he's making the game in fucking MS Paint and Game Maker Pro. Like he doesn't he doesn't he's not and he's he's insanely talented, but mm-hmm. like it's not if you were to go to the, the the bean counters at Capcom and ask what do you think the next big trend is, they wouldn't have figured that out. They no. would have been like, We're gonna re release Resident Evil Four again and that's I mean it's gonna be hell, <laughs> of course. But right. Um, yeah, and I mean, it's like, you know, or I, I think a better, a, 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 a even, yeah, a better example is Five Nights at Freddy's. I mean, it's, oh, for it sure. is the simplest fucking game. Scott Cawthon released it for like seven bucks. The key art for it looks like it was made up in like MS Paint, you know? Like, yeah, like not it was good bad. MS Paint, like, yeah, it looks silly as shit. Mm-hmm. And it fucking destroyed the numbers, you know? Like, 
it crushed the industry. Yeah, there's and, action figures of them at Target right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's, <laughs> and that's and that's really incredible. And mm -hmm. it's like, and it's basically just a game where you're sitting. It was designed to work on your fucking phone, so it was like you're just sitting in one room, tapping like three or four different buttons, and that's it. Yeah. And then spooky things happen while you're doing that. And it's 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 fascinating. It's fantastic, and uh, I, I really like it. And it's so, um, you know, what I what I want. And, and, and Five Nights at Freddy's. So by the way, so that the people listening can know, Five Nights at Freddy's is Scott Cawthon's seventy eighth released game. Oh, it, I did not know that. Yeah, it, it took him a while to get to Five Nights at Freddy's, and a lot of the stuff that he made before that was like uh, casino games, um, pretty easy to program stuff, mm -hmm. uh, mobile games. And so, like, Five Nights at Freddy's started as a three-month project. I mean, like, the first four games came out in a year. Like, Yeah, it was sporadic. out real quick. Yeah. And um, I, I think that, uh, the, the you know, and that's, that's, that's what I always come back to is, like, the next great idea for horror isn't going to take three years to make. It's not going to be a $6 million Kickstarter-backed project that goes four years over design <laughs> time and then releases on a console that wasn't originally built for with all kinds of bugs. No. Right. The next great horror idea is going to come from a project that was that it's going to come from another really good idea that well, that is well executed on. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, honestly, I, I think that we already did that. I mean, if you look at sucker for love, which came out in the Dragon's collection too, have you played it yet? Oh yes. I played Doki Doki literature club before that. And then this, and I was just like, Oh good. More of these. I can't wait. <laughs> But I, I think that there's like the legs on a Lovecraftian dating sim. Uh -huh. I mean, I think that, that that is something that could like legitimately be big as something like Bendy and the Ink Machine. Absolutely. It's it's a whole new way of looking at a dating sim and adding that other edge to it. Like, so people are like, oh, I don't play dating sims. Oh, but will you play this one? And it's like, oh, shit. All right. Yeah, I'll yeah. kind of play that. <laughs> well, and then it's so funny, too, because um, the writing, it's not it's not just the concept for it, which is great. But right. um, first off, visually, the game is so fucking crisp and tight. Mm -hmm. um, the, the the flourishes to the mechanics, like how when you're doing the chance, the little lips on the cursor move. Yeah. There's so much detail to how the cursor has a shadow, you know, when you're pushing yeah. around the room. Like, that is so cool. And, uh, and, and he made that all in just those 10 days. Like, he did a 10-day sprint and That's made that insane. fucking game. And, and I, I think that – but also the quality of the writing – is great because it's it's exactly what you expected it, is. Mm -hmm. and you're like this can either be hilarious or really fucking weird, you right? Know? Like you just it's the unexpected. It's it's what horror is. Like we said, there's no real definition of horror, but like that right there is like, well, I'm playing a very brightly lit dating yeah. sim. I know that a, apocalypse is happening outside. Like how dark is this gonna get? You know, it gets dark too. It does, yeah. It's great. It, you, you, your arm gets turned into a tentacle. You know, you I just love gashes all over your body. Yeah, <laughs> and um, I. But what I, what I what I meant by but I went, what I meant by weird is that uh, like a, a, a dating sim like that can get really creepy really quickly. Yes. Um, like creepy and not in a like a ooh spooky way. I mean, like it can be weird, like in the way that like I don't want this game to be in my library weird. Yes. Um, <laughs> and, and that's what I'm saying is like when when he pitched that game to me, um, because this is this is his first fully released title he has another game he's working on called chromatose which is a, a kickstarter backed project that's mm -hmm. that's you know he's still working on finishing that um but this so this is his first time so i had no idea what the fuck i was getting into and i was so when he pitched it to me and he's like it's going to be a cthulhu dating sim i was like this is either going to be the funniest thing i've ever seen or i'm going to be on a list 
Like, I, this is like, <laughs> there's only two options here. And, and fortunately, it came out so fucking good. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, yeah. That was definitely um, one I, of the ones I jumped to when I first started playing because I was like, I, I want to experience this, you know? Yeah. And that's, that's why I'm doing this, is to try to give creators like that who Akabaka is making a uh, visual novel style rhythm card game, kind of. That's what Chromatos is. Ooh. And I am like, make a horror game for me. He's like, that sounds fun. And he makes this fucking amazing thing yeah. because it wasn't, I wasn't going to a developer that I, I knew was a horror darling. Mm-hmm. I instead went to someone different and it turned out great. And, right. You're you know, telling that's, them that's to why do I horror. Do this. Yeah. It's like it's you're telling them, like, give me your take on horror. I want to see what you can do. Well, right. And so when you do that gatekeeping mentality of, you know, you can only have an opinion on horror if you have uh, memorized the entire script to, to Blair Witch, which I think is mostly just sniffles and crying. Uh, <laughs> you know, that's that that doesn't that doesn't help anyone push the genre forward. No, so. not at all. Uh, and it was it's cool. I checked out um, uh, Vitus and Abby's game. Arcadletra. Arcadvatra. And it kind of feels like a, a PT in an arcade. And that game wigged me out. Like, I was like, if it, I mean, they're, they're like a few steps away from just making it a VR game. Like, if you really wanted mm-hmm. to, you could implement that entire game into like VR. Um, so it's, it's cool the different levels of each game. And if, okay, uh, during pandemic, if you told uh, even five, okay, maybe not pandemic, but because you don't want them filming, but okay, you told five film crews that you wanted to go out and you wanted to film stuff and come back and we're going to do like this little indie horror film collection, right? Mm-hmm. The, the films would mainly be in bedrooms because it had to be really cheap. It had to be filmed very cheap for whatever budget is happening. And you get like a hotel room, like scary thing. The world of video games is so huge. Can we talk about toy shop for a second? Like to be able to do something where you're this tiny toy in a toy world, and there's this gigantic man, like reaching over you, like sky's the limit in gaming. So horror yeah. can go so far out within what? 10 days of development that I think that's just amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I and and I love to see the developers challenge themselves too because uh, Toy Shop was made by the same guy that made Outsiders, um, and Outsiders I feel like was like a was a masterpiece for a ten day game. Mm-hmm. And it was a spooky house game, and it has the that amazing ending. Uh, uh, I don't want to spoil it on the pod since it's so funny because uh-huh. to me it's like Dread X One that came out. Oh, it only came out like two months ago. Okay, right. I know. I, I like. I was like, man, it's all the next one's already out. Like, I'm stoked. Like, for for being a Twitch streamer too. Like, that's really cool for your viewers to be like, hey, we have more of these indie games coming, and like all your viewers are stoked to see what they are. You know. Well, yeah, that, that's part of the reason why we're doing this model is to try to be able to consistently deliver content. But anyways, mm. um, <laughs> you know, but with with you know the so let me go back to what I was saying about uh, Kyle. Kyle is the guy that made um toy shop and outsiders is that outsiders mm-hmm. was like a very contained project it was like you have this time loop core mechanic you have this house the spooky house you have spooky stuff happening in spooky house it's a pretty standard spooky house game but it was a very good one yeah you know it was um and then with a toy shop he tried to go in a very 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 different direction mm-hmm. uh he tried to make a much bigger game i don't want to say tried he did make a much bigger game. oh yes um there's like a 2d platforming segment there's uh, like a uh, a lot of like run and hide segments. There's like there's a gun segment. There's mm-hmm. a chase scene. There's a boss fight. There's a twist. He, he did <laughs> a lot in the game in a really relatively short period of time. Um, and uh, I, I I think that um, it's one of those that I, I wish he had more budget and more time to like really flesh out that world because I think it's really interesting. And that's how I always feel about Kyle's games. Is like I wish. 
I want to see the, where he takes it next. So we'll, we'll see if we want to do anything with him on that. Yeah. Later. But um, the point I'm making is that seeing what he did in the first one versus seeing what he did in the second, you have two the same developer doing two wildly different games. And, um, you know, and another one is David Chemansky, who did Pony Factory in the first one, which mm-hmm. is pretty much a standard shooter. And he did the Squirrel Stapler <laughs> in the second one, which is technically also a shooter, but, like, not really a shooter. It's like yeah. a hunting game. So. Yeah, nature game. Yeah. So that's 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 what's been really cool about this project. Although, oh, wait, I can't talk about that yet. Oh, so no. Let's just pretend I didn't say anything there. <laughs> I'll, let, I'll let the fans decide. I mean, it's, it's kind of funny because... Um, uh, we're 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 pretty secretive about what we have uh, coming up, mm-hmm. but we do have this showcase that people can submit trailers for, and uh, uh, I will say that it's been really really cool working with people on getting those trailers in, and I think that's going to be really cool for people to see what we have in store there. Very cool. So there's stuff we, like things in the like in the works right now. Are you reaching out to uh, other like newer dev? Like say somebody's listening to the show and they're like, oh my God, I would love to join in something like that. Like, would you be open to hearing from new people? Or are you guys pretty good oh, right now? Oh yeah, I, I love hearing from new people. It is seriously, like I have this big list of developers that I pull from. Um, mm-hmm. And for the first two, collections uh i largely pulled I, I i was the second collection i i kept a lot of the developers from the first i brought on new developers um any future thing that we're doing is probably going to be all new developer gotcha um not because i don't like what the developers did on this one it's just that there are um other projects i'd like to work on with some of those developers that's just would take up all of their time um <clears throat> with these these uh other games um so other new developers, there's definitely space for that. Mm-hmm. And I would say that no one's too small to reach out to me because, you know, Torpal Duke, who did Hand of Doom in the first one and uh, Undiscovered in the second one, he was a reference from Airdorf, uh, who said, yes. I know this guy. But Torpal Duke had 88 followers when I first brought him on board two uh-huh. months ago. Um, you know, he wasn't a safe bet. I mean, he was. I, I had no idea what this guy could do. He had worked on Earl's Day Off with Airdorf before. Uh-huh. And um, Eridorf vouched for me that he had worked on a significant portion of the game, but I didn't know that, you know? Like, sure. the, the whole point about the first one is to find solo devs that we can pay to do games, and, you know, so that there's not this big team dynamic of trying to get 12 different moving parts. Now, unfortunately, that's, like, kind of what it ended up still having to be. <laughs> that was, like, the original concept. Yeah. And so, like, I don't know if this guy can make a game on his own. I don't know what he's fucking capable of. Whatever. Like, I, I don't... <clears throat> Eridorf vouched for him. Like I said, I just roll those dice, you yeah. know? Like, I don't... Fuck it, you know? This is probably going to be the coolest one of the collection. And, hey, a lot of people thought it was. Yeah. So just take those chances. And if you were a indie dev listening to this right now, yeah, fucking go ahead. Hit me up. I, I'm always down to see what new cool stuff is out there. Um, awesome. Yeah, that's Ted Henschke at dreadcentral.com. And I'll make sure to put that in the notes for people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, no, it just... I, honestly, just reach out to us on Twitter. Our DMs are open, and I check those oh, yeah. every day, and it's easier. And um, if I if if I'm sleeping or doing a lot of the work, because I I'm like I'm so fucking busy nowadays, man. And I I don't know how I got this busy. Yeah, <laughs> oh, I know <laughs> you're you're always available though. Like anytime, like I ever have a, call, a question about something, you're usually like within 10, 15 minutes jumping on there. So you're you seem like you're on it. <laughs> I try to be. It's hard with all the stuff going on, but I I do my best and. Um, so yeah, if there's any if there's anyone out there that is interested in in trying to get into games, you know, they're you're a small independent developer, 
hit me up. I'll see what we can do. I mean, I, we're always looking for new new people to promote because that's like at the end of the day like i don't really care about if we make a billion dollars like i'm that's not i didn't get into publishing indie horror games to make a million dollars you know right yeah uh, well maybe a million but not like a billion (laughs) Uh, but uh yeah and and it's more important to me to find people that are passionate about what they do and give them a platform to succeed than it is to have the biggest names on the project. I mean, I, I, on the second project, we definitely had a lot of big names, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it, it's, and I, I will definitely say that, uh, I really want the collection going to the future to be a place where people come and they go, not only do I see something that I like, but here's a bunch of stuff that I didn't even know about. I had no, wasn't even on my radar to look at, to see if I like, and I yeah. like it. And that's what we're trying to do here. Well, very cool, man. Okay, so I'm going to ask you now some personal Halloween questions because the show is about Halloween. Okay, you ready for yes, them? Yes, go ahead. All yes. right. Favorite Halloween memory? <sighs> so um, this was actually going to be a bit of a weird one because I was very, very sick growing up. Okay. And um, I couldn't really, like, go out and trick-or-treat very well because uh, I had really bad lung problems as a kid. So, I, I mean, I, I, I didn't have that going out with your friends and trick-or-treating mm-hmm. experience that a lot of other kids did early years and then later years. Um, I think it would probably be... My favorite Halloween memory is probably when you're trick-or-treating and you're too old, probably when I was like 16, right? Yeah. And um, you know you're too old, mm-hmm. but you're kind of reveling in being <laughs> too old. You know? Yeah, it's yeah. Like it's like, the, screw it. Yeah. And I think that um, because there's that there's those those halcyon years between the ages of like 16 to 21, that's 16 to 18 really, where um, like you aren't old enough to drink yet legally. Yeah. Um, and then once you get to college, like no one gives a shit if you're drinking illegally. That's just like college life. Right. But, it's that it's that mid three years that you're talking about. Yeah, like where drinking is still a bit edgy, mm-hmm. so you're not sure if you want to do it. You know, like the kids that smoke weed are still dangerous, you mm-hmm. know? Like, oh, is this, what's the, I mean, especially, I mean, back when I was 18, weed was illegal. It's weird that I have to distinguish that now. Right. Uh, you know, for the, the future generations listening to this, for the posterity. Everybody's smoking weed listening uh, to this right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, um, you know, when you're, when you're old enough to kind of appreciate the silliness of it and going trick-or-treating with my friends um because that's probably more entertaining to me than all of the halloweens that i don't remember sure you know yeah because like, i was hammered <laughs> right yeah you're <laughs> hanging like hanging with your buds or having your masks are like kind of cocked off to the side but you're also like maybe let's see if they'll even give us candy like fuck it <laughs> yeah and, and you know once i hit the age of 19 and was in college i don't remember halloween for like 10 years it was like a yeah it was like a good chunk of my 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 like holiday life that i can no longer recall <laughs> yeah so you're like I'll, I'll just hold on to those those were neat yeah well yeah so that's my i would probably say the the the, the halloween of trick-or-treating when i was like 16 17. awesome all right how about a favorite horror film do you have a favorite top from working at dread central and What's the one? I'm sure everybody asks you that because everybody asks me that all the time. But like, it's a hard yeah. question. <laughs> yeah, I'll 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 give you a couple answers here. Um, okay. My, my favorite horror movie of all time uh, 
intellectually. All right. Probably Starship, it's probably Starship Troopers. Not that I think that everyone considers Starship Troopers a horror movie, but there's a lot of parts of that that are horror. Sure. Movie, you know? Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, yeah, I mean, when the, the, the bugs are eating the guy and he's like, shoot me, or like the brain bug, like there's a lot of... Yeah, especially for our age of how young we were seeing that, you know? <laughs> yeah, and I think that there's a, an inherent implicit horror to Paul Verhoeven movies mm -hmm. that are that is about the, the... It's so funny because it's the kinds of things that would disqualify it from being a traditional horror film, talking about the color, the, the comedy, the... The, the overt fascism of Starship Troopers, it's like a parody, but a lot of people didn't get that when it came out because I guess film critics are all hacks. But uh -huh. um, And it's just so <laughs> fucking funny uh, because once you realize that it's a satire, it's like, it's it's beautiful. Oh, it's gorgeous. That kind of, yeah, the kind of colorful satire gives it a visual palette that's not what we typically expect of horror films. Yeah, it's and not so, live, die, you know, repeat or something. You know, that's just kind of an action movie. Like, it really kind of makes it its own thing. It kind of makes it campy, yeah, but, like, exactly. perfectly campy, you know? Yeah, uh, but I would say that my favorite, the most watchable horror film that I have is uh, probably Deep Blue Sea. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I, could watch deep, I could watch Deep Blue Sea every day for the rest of my life. Oh it, my is it is it is perfect, perfect. movie. It, yeah, it, there's it, a third it, one out. It just came out. I just watched it. So, it? okay, I, I recently watched <laughs> all of the Deep Blue Sea movies back to back because nice. uh, my game launched and I was eating ice cream. And by recently, I mean like yesterday. I watched all three Deep Blue Sea movies. Mm -hmm. um, Deep Blue Sea 1, still amazing. Still the best film ever made. Uh, with the part where he throws his lighter at the shark in yes. the oven and says, you ate my bird and he explodes. Perfect. <laughs> it's a perfect film. Um, Deep Blue Sea 2 is, 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 is Deep Blue Sea 1, but significantly worse it's Absolutely. just it's, it's like just beat for beat deep blue sea one but significantly worse mm -hmm. um deep blue sea three it like it's actually really good oh. it, it, like they elevate like the, the cinematography is great the, the cgi sharks are a bit shit but okay. it makes up for it with a really compelling location it takes place on a trash island which is like a real thing oh okay. um and o over a reef and it's like a, about a shark scientist but not and and they go all in on the ridiculous shark kills. Like it's yeah. it's so good. A guy a guy literally punches two sharks with with like stab grenades and they all explode. <laughs> and, it, and it's just this like gigantic death charge of, of gore. And I'm like, this is exactly what I want from the third Deep Blue Sea film. And it's that's how you celebrated like, the release of Dread Central two or uh, Dread X. Dread X, yeah, 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 yeah exactly. <laughs> um, but if I want to say, like, what's probably the, the horror movie that holds the biggest candle in my heart is probably uh, a film called Lake Mungo. Lake Mungo. Uh, yeah. Okay. So you're, you like the aquatic horror. That's kind of been a thing going around Twitter right now, too. Like, what's your favorite aquatic horror? Lake no, Mungo. no, Lake Mungo is not an aquatic horror movie. No? You're probably thinking of Lake Placid. I am thinking of Lake Placid shit. What is Lake Mungo? Yeah, Lake Mungo is, is a mockumentary about a haunted family okay. whose daughter drowned... Um, Actually, the, the daughter didn't drown in Lake Mungo. The the point of Lake Mungo is is later revealed in the, like the last ten minutes of the film. It's this it's this little okay. So it was part of the After Dark Horror Fest, and I'm pretty sure it's the only good movie that came out of the After Death Heart, Dark Horror Fest, other uh, than arguably the, the deaths of Ian Stone. Yeah, yes. look at this. I, I'm unfurling my fucking horror penis on the table right now. Is now, like, now, did you go screen this? Did you screen Lake Mungo in theaters? I remember because those films actually did get a release. Like, at a short window before uh, they all hit DVD. I Okay, so we're not... We weren't involved in the After Dark Horror Fest. I think that was... Uh, 
fear nets thing oh okay um uh or was it no blood disgusting was vhs they weren't part of the after dark horror films anyways yeah no um it's an australian flick yeah say again it's an australian flick right yeah, like like Mungo, Australian. Stuff. Okay, uh, gotcha. yeah, it's part of the After Dark Horror Fest. Um, but uh, uh, and that was that was a really really cool. It was like a really cool mockumentary. Um, and I, I, it's it's a really slow burn. It's probably not for everyone. Mm-hmm. But if you're into slow burn, kind of nebulous horror is what I'd say. It's like it's not. There's maybe one scare in the whole film, and the whole movie is building up to it. And it's not a jump out in your face scare. It's like, ah, what the fuck? Yeah. And, um, and then it kind of wraps up in this really weird way. And it's, it's a really, really great movie. Very creative. And the acting is, is fantastic. Cause you really feel like these are real people in a real family. Actually, the reason I, one of the reasons I love that film so much is I showed it to one of my friends. Um, and the whole time he was like, this is dumb. And I was <laughs> like, why? He's like, cause like they're, they're making it up. And I was like, Yeah. And he's like, ghosts aren't real. And I'm like, oh, yeah. And, like, I didn't realize he didn't, <laughs> he didn't know it was a movie. He thought it was a documentary. Yeah. And if you oh. make a documentary that people are, like, legitimately confused as a documentary, like, you've done a really good That's, job. Yeah, you, you killed it. <laughs> Basically. Man. Okay, last question. Favorite uh, Dread Collection dev. No, I wouldn't make you pick between your babies. Uh, but no, but seriously, do you have like a top from each game, Dread Collection 1 and 2? Or is that something you um, do not want to answer? Because I totally understand. <laughs> no, I mean, that's fine. I can talk about it. Um, personally, um, I, I think that in the first collection, I have a soft spot for... Um, I, I like all the games. I, I like some of them personally more than I like others. Uh, the point of putting the first collection together was to try to get a diversity of developers. Um, I was really yeah. hoping you'd say, I was just wanting to get a bunch of collection of games that were different for myself. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, so I think one of the a good examples, the most divisive game in the first collection was probably Rock Gut, which was made by the guy that made Soda Drinker Pro. Mm-hmm. Um, it was like a very, very weird kind of um, nebulous, almost ephemeral game. Like it doesn't, it's, it doesn't, it's not, it's not really a game. It's like a, it's like a hallway simulator. Really. Yeah. It's a tunnel simulator. Um, it's like a walking simulator in the sense of an objectiveless walking simululator. Oh, is um, that the one that it's like you're walking out of the woods and you walk into a tunnel? There's a party that you're supposed yeah, to be going yeah, to. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, some people hated that game. Some people loved that game. No way. I loved it. I thought it was so, the further you got, you're just like, what the fuck am I walking into? Well, like, yeah. And it was, they said it was based off a real, a true story, right? Yeah, the guy's got video of the place. Oh my god! Used reverence, but um, (laughs) like I kept saying that, like as I'm walking and I'm seeing stuff, I'm like, was did the guy actually see these things spray painted on the wall? (laughs) But my, I would have to say my personal favorite of the first collection is Outsiders, the haunted house Mm -hmm. game. Uh, I just think it was to know. So Kyle, uh, I met him at PAX South, which is the smallest PAX, and it's super shit. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sorry, no, no, no shade on PAX South. It's just that they don't. It's not a lot of money spent on yeah um so a lot of the developers there are smaller so i met him there i didn't have an appointment with with him or anything i just saw scp blackout and i was like i'm gonna go check that out Mm -hmm. talked to him got his card did a little impromptu interview right there um was done and uh you know i was like okay i'm gonna check out this scp blackout game i did and i was like let's get him on board so it was like kind of this guy that kind of came from nowhere i mean i know scp blackout has done well but it's not something that has like crossed over to the next level of horror success. Yeah. So, you know, I'm 
I, uh, uh, I, I give them, and I, I, I give them basic, I, I, basically, I, the reason I liked this guy was because I was watching someone play SCP Blackout, and a few things happened. One guy was crawling across the floor, another was this timing of the scare, mm-hmm. and I noticed that, like, the, the composition of his scares was, like, spot on. Like, I was like, this guy can make a good scare. Yeah. And that's something that's hard to teach. Like, the timing, the, the direction, the, vis- the visuals of it. Like, really? All of the elements, if you don't pick up, if you don't just kind of know what's scary, it's very difficult to teach. It's like trying to teach poetry, you know? Yeah. It's hard. You can teach someone the meter, but if they just don't have that rhythm in their head, mm-hmm. it's very difficult to learn. And you're specifically so, talking about jump scares, like timing a jump scare in a game? Not only a jump scare, I'm talking about all scares. Okay, you know? so like um, unnerving and, and stuff like that. Yeah, so like at one point in the game, the the uh, in out, uh, SCP Blackout, there's a character that's crawling and he has a key in his hand and you have to get the key. And that's just a really good way to like get to deliver a key. And I was like, and he was a solo developer doing that. So I was like, these are all his ideas. So he must have good mastery of scares. And so, you know, when he did Outsiders and the fact that he got all of that done in seven days, like he actually did his early because he had to take off work to do it. Mm-hmm. Um so he had done his in seven days before the week before everyone else started. Mm-hmm. So I, I, he definitely did it within those seven days. Um, and the, 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 the accomplishment for those seven days, I just think is, is incredible. Um, you know, putting that house together, making all these different puzzles, you know, yeah. programming the, the keys and stuff is, it, it was really, really, really awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's probably my favorite from the first collection. And my, my favorite, uh, and I'm saying my favorite because I, I think it's an amazing accomplishment, and I really love that I was proven right by putting my faith in this guy. I love being right; it's like my favorite thing. Yeah, um, I know what's scary, damn it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then in the uh, the second collection, my favorite is probably Charlotte's Exile. Um, oh, okay. I haven't got to that one yet. He he managed to make translating a book scary, mm-hmm. and I, I love that. And he's. Uh, you know, it's made by uh, uh, John Shemansky, David Shemansky's brother. Mm-hmm. Uh, David Shemansky is the guy that made Dusk. Um, and I, I, I loved seeing John's creative process. I loved seeing the final product. And I, I just think that the visual, like the, how it looks, how it plays, the core gameplay loop, mm-hmm. all of it is super, super satisfying. And you know the fact that he made it in ten days is, is just so impressive. So um, very cool. Not that I and I, I and I would say that I think all of the games are fantastic in both the first and the second collection. I'm not saying that because those are my favorites, I am any less liking of any of the other games. Yeah. Like I said, the first one is that I have that personal connection, and then the second one, um, I just really, really loved the the mechanical shift to Shirley's Exile. But of course, I have a huge soft spot for Sucker for Love because you know Akabaka is so amazing. Sure. Games. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's the great thing about these collections is that no one person's really going to have this the, their favorite same game. Like every, I think horror touches everybody differently. Like just like you said, there's no real thing that defines horror. I mean, the Academy Awards have been going back and forth about that for fucking years. Like we won't put horror in this. Like what is horror? Silence of the Lambs won an Academy Award. Exorcist yeah. won an Academy Award. Those are horror. Like, but so it's you're right. Like I mean that what scares you is differently. And even if it doesn't even scare you, if it's like the sci-fi world that's um, like immersing the horror, like I think it's um to the end of days feels like a John Carpenter story. Like John Carpenter, like uh, Escape from New York. It's not really a horror, but you can almost like um, horror fans still like label it as like jump right up there with Halloween and the thing. 
you know yeah. it just has that feeling that dark city feeling you know yeah so. no and I, I it's like mad max isn't horror but horror fans will claim it you know absolutely that's, that's the thing about i don't even want to say it isn't horror because people have different ideas of what is horror like this is something i've been going back and forth on for a while because mm-hmm. like the, the the distinction of what isn't isn't horror almost always boils down to someone saying well i didn't find it scary it's like well fuck you i don't care like, <laughs> right oh shit aren't you a badass here's the thing people all the time say well you must not get scared by movies anymore i'm like i get scared of all the time i'm super easy to scare i don't pretend like i'm tough and that movies can't scare me why would i be doing this if i couldn't get scared anymore that's why we're doing this because it's fun you know exactly we enjoy being scared i'm not gonna like front and say oh i didn't find it scary like i fucking hate those people yeah because what you find scary is so subjective mm-hmm. and uh, like I, I i a while ago was trying to come up with a rubric of like how to judge different kinds of scares I'll probably still make a video about that someday. But <laughs> anyways, uh, the point I'm making is that, uh, like, just to say that you don't find something scary, and that's why it isn't horror is super dumb. But then there's this, 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 there's this consensus within uh, the muckety mucks that uh, make the the that somehow through their collective wisdom decide what it is and isn't award worthy. Mm-hmm. Say that certain things are like, oh, The Shining. Well, this one gets a pass because it's elevated horror. You know, it's, oh, it's cerebral horror. It's like, okay, well, why can't we just like something for being fun? It's, I think that there's this certain cinema snob mentality of like art is art. Yes. And, uh, it's like, okay, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's just, they're, they're just jerking themselves off over a different emotion. 100%. Like basically people, there's nothing more, there's nothing less trite about <laughs> Pride and Prejudice than there is about John Wick. Like Pride and Prejudice, <laughs> just like emotions porn whereas john wick is guns porn right and it, it, it's not like it's, it's not like pride and prejudice is so much deeper it's 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 a bunch of unrealistic characters acting unrealistically i mean basically there's so many characters in pride and prejudice that just exist for the lead characters to like snipe down with their sick wit you know those are basically <laughs> right. the background characters in john wick that just exist to get their neck snapped uh-huh. in just a different context but but i the, love that the, analogy by the way the lucky <laughs> Decide what isn't isn't art can watch Pride and Prejudice and go well. This is elevated. It's talking about the human condition. Blah blah. You know what talks about the human condition? John Wick. Because we're all going to die someday, so we might as well just have some fun while doing it. Exactly. You know, like I don't need to sit here jerking myself off. It's like um, I think that every single muckety muck critic, LA critic, wants to be the character in Children of Men mm-hmm. that was the person who's in charge of preserving all art before humanity dies yes uh, it's a very small character in that movie i think it's clive owen's brother in the movie mm-hmm. um but his job is to just like preserve all of human culture <laughs> for when we all die because no one's having children anymore to be like a, an arc for future aliens or whatever to preserve it and i think that's what every person that's like a critic is what like, thinking they're that doing. person right yeah just for like their yeah. community you know oh, i'm enshrining this forever in the in the annals of history it's like god are you serious like I'm, yeah shakespeare made dick jokes like are you like <laughs> we don't and we remember him because he was fun right I don't know. it's whatever unlocks those endorphins with inside of us you know like if if pride and prejudice unlocks those endorphins for you know over acting you know love tales within the girls that don't even talk like that then yes those people are going to love that but like you said john wick if it unlocks his endorphins of fun and enjoyment of seeing a guy taking revenge on his beagle being killed then fuck yeah like 
<laughs> yeah. It's just you're having yeah, fun no. at the cinema. You're having fun playing games. Like that's all. And I, I tied, I, I've been, instead of saying horror these days, I say genre films. Cause I feel like yeah. genre films are more like, it encompasses escape from New York and these other like sci-fi films, because it's films that, you know, kind of have more fun and kind of just drop that whole, like we're, we're trying to be something, you know? And I know horror kind of does that a lot with like, you know, a lot of really slow burn horrors, they might yeah. be a little pretentious, but you know, they're at the heart of it. It's still a horror film. Oh, there's a lot of pretentious horror out there. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Um, but I think that, that we need more pretentious horror so that horror gets taken more seriously so we can get Academy Awards about it. Yes. Like, you know, <laughs> the fact that Hereditary wasn't even nominated is like fucking ridiculous. Dude, Tony was- Collette should fucking have won Best Female Actress that year. Like, I'm so I'm I mean, still pissed. Hereditary is, is like a legitimately fantastic film. It's like, it's going to be remembered up there with The Shining and with, uh, you know, Rosemary's Baby, all these other horror icons. Yes. But... You know, here's a here's a good example of what I mean about you know things sticking with us in our cultural zeitgeist is that um, I, I like to come back to this because uh, 1996, uh, the English Patient won. Uh, I think it won the Best Picture for the Academy Awards. Um, uh, winning, yeah, English Patient won Best Picture, Best Director. Mm-hmm. When is the last time anyone has watched the English Patient? Right. Like, <laughs> I've never met a human being that's watched The English Patient. I've watched The English Patient because I, I I made it a mission to watch every Best Picture. And I, mean, I, I, can only, I can only say the only other people I know that have watched The English Patient are people that also have gone back to watch every Best Picture. And I will say, I, I actually probably think more people have seen The English Patient. They just don't remember having seen it. Because, like, I put it on and my mom's like, I've never seen this. And then, like, halfway through, she was like, I've seen this. I was like, what a memorable film. The best picture of the year. You didn't even remember watching. Yeah, didn't also know. Also, in 1996, what came out? Scream. Right. <laughs> Always remember that. You know what else came out? From Dusk Till Dawn. Oof, yes. And it's like, people people still watch From Dusk Till Dawn. Oh, people I'm People still watch Scream. Yeah. Like, they have marathons. They wear shirts. They have celebrated. But nobody's celebrating... The English Patient, yeah. <laughs> From Just Till Dawn had four movies and the spinoff TV show, which is great. The spinoff show was fantastic. Yeah. And The English Patient, no one even remembers that they watched it. It's 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 so fucking funny. Yeah, what sticks in our zeitgeist, but like what Hollywood tries to you know hold up to on a, a podium is just hilarious, you know. But I I, yeah. I do feel like with right now with Twitter and discord and everybody kind of coming together with these communities and stuff think the ball is slowly swerving to the other side like you still have your hollywood schmucky schmucks but the genre film area is still not to be messed with you know like there's some smart creative people there i think that um what happens is is that the genre the industry goes through various different shakeups at various different times and those shakeups generally come from uh well in 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 horror the shakeups come from the indie side Mm-hmm. Um, like what's the last big horror movie that really shook things up was probably Paranormal Activity um, yeah. actually probably The Witch because I think that The Witch has spawned a new generation of elevated horror uh, mm-hmm. after that films like The Black Coat's Daughter and like Hereditary, uh, Smith Summer yeah uh, A24 stuff definitely on the on the, yeah, the popular yeah. side of things um, and that kind of did this, the flip on horror Um I mean, it's actually kind of funny because I would even say that Deep Blue C3 has been affected by it because the camera work is really slick. The visual fidelity is great. It doesn't use cheap sets. Like, the sets are, like, pretty good looking. Mm-hmm. Um, I could just see you with a pint of ice cream sitting there and be like, this is actually really fucking good. <laughs> yeah, 
God, these sharks are so smart in this one. Uh, yeah, it's um, it was it was a good movie, uh, and I, I think that that is a lot of due to the new wave of elevator horror, and then Deep Blue Sea Two, which just came out in I think twenty eighteen, mm-hmm. uh, giant pile of trash. Um, although the the lead actress is incredibly gorgeous, so in case no. she's listening to our podcast, I don't want to say anything bad about her. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, the, the the movie was like really garbage. Um, like at one point, the the main bad guy in uh, Deep Blue Sea Two drinks some of the shark brain juice, and it gives him science brain, oh, which no. is like the most hacky way to do the "I'm getting smarter," which is <laughs> yes. just like a bunch of molecules are just like popping up on the screen, you know, like the molecular structures. And he's like, Aah! he's like screaming because his science, his brain has got science too hard. Right, it's too much uh, science, and the human brain can't hold science. Only shark brains can, right? Yeah, you know, he's, he's like, he's like, oh, I'm evolving to the next level of. Brain is pretty dumb. Um, uh, but yeah, uh, Deep Blue Sea 3 had way more budget than it really deserved. Um, and I think that uh, probably, um, yeah, that, that's a that's that's probably the new trend is more elevated horror. But before that, it was found footage horror. Mm-hmm. And where did found footage horror come from? Fucking Oren Pelly and his paranormal activity. I know Blair Witch came before that, but Blair Witch didn't spawn a wave of imitators the same way that paranormal activity did. Yes. Um, yeah. What, what would but you say wreck is? Would you say wreck follows Blair or would you say wreck follows paranormal? Huh. I have to look at the timeline on that. Yeah. Sure exactly when it came out. But um, I think that wreck, I mean, it's part of that wave that came out, you know, definitely. Oh um, yeah. But I think that if you're looking at the success and the influence a franchise had, Mm-hmm. Horror fans love Wreck. Everyone's yes. heard of Paranormal Activity. Mm-hmm. Like, if I go up to my mom and I say, "I'm going to go watch Wreck," she's like, "What? I have no idea what that is." And if I go, "I'm going to go watch Paranormal Activity," she's like, "That's that scary ghost movie." Yes, you know, um, Paranormal Activity like really broke out of the the genre. Like it, it, it shattered its budget. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that movie yeah. cost ten thousand dollars to make. Jeez. It's yeah. so funny because it's one of the few films that if you look up the Wikipedia for it, um, it lists the original budget uh, and then the, the post-production budget, which includes marketing and stuff, mm-hmm. separately. Um, and I, I just, I because most of the time it's all in one thing. So yeah, I just looked it up. It says production 15,000, post-production 215,000. So post-production would be advertising and shit. Um, gotcha. Right. Um, most most of the time, that budget is just when they're listing the budget for for films. It's like it's usually just the budget to make the movie, and right. then uh, you double that for marketing costs, and then that gives you some creative Hollywood accounting. But uh, I think it's just funny that you know they they actually list it on the Wikipedia page the difference between the production and the post production budget. Interesting. Uh, I, well, yeah, you know it's funny. I mean, I would definitely throw Host in there from Shutter. Uh, I mean, with the the quarantine and like nothing coming out in 2020, something that's kind of, uh, you know, everybody's talking about, you know, after something like Paranormal Activity, where now you have webcams, everybody's on Zoom, you do a movie entirely in Zoom. That's kind of revolutionary. And to get it out right now, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think that um, Host is probably uh, a really, really good example of a new new way of shooting horror because the pandemic is part of the story. Yes. In in host. It's a small part of the story, but it's part of it. That's why they gotta put on their masks to outside. Mm-hmm. So it really shows how quickly that production came together. God. I think a lot of people the reason people like it is because it's so obviously 
it's a tight amateur production, but it's obviously an amateur production. But people yes. like that it's a tight amateur production. Yes, I've actually seen a few um, quarantine, you know, cameras like you know horror films coming out after hosts, and the quality is nowhere near it. Yeah, I mean, they, they're clearly talented. They knew what they were doing. They probably put a few months of work into it. But even so, like a few months of work to get a movie from inception to release is huge. A, a feat. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You guys almost like making a game in like a month. <laughs> I was just saying, you guys are quick on the draw for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, 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 uh, I love, I loved Host. I thought it was really cool. I, I just watched it recently. Um, I'm running out of movies to watch though. Like, we need to cure the pandemic so we can get movies back. Absolutely. Because it's gonna be a while because, like, okay. So here's what's gonna happen. So we're gonna be getting a lot of these shelf shelf films coming out. Mm-hmm. You know, like films that studios just like have on the shelf, and they're just like, ah, eh, we don't want to release this because it's bad. Right. But you can't shoot movies right now. It's like impossible because people will die. Yes. So- release oh. what we have, aka release the crap. Yeah. <laughs> Can you believe? Can you imagine how lucky the people that created Bloodshot must feel? Because it's like the last. Oh man! Big, and it made a lot of money because it was just the last movie to come out yes. in theaters. And they're like, Bloodshot did really well. Maybe we'll do a sequel. It's like no one liked it. It was just their only option. You're right. Yeah, it was just the last thing. I like. I remember like was the turmoil over the Hunt. It was like in theaters, and then it was just on VOD. But we could like Hunt got pushed back like because of the shooting. Like I think there was a school shooting that happened. And the whole movie's about, you know, shooting each other, like a, uh, uh, what is it called? Battle Royale type storyline. Mm-hmm. So, like, they had to, like, shelve that for a year. And then finally, they're finally releasing it, and the pandemic happens. And I'm just like, oh, God. Oh, my God. So, it's like, they're like, just whatever. Just VOD it for $20. We don't give a shit anymore. Yeah, I mean, you can't control that, and it sucks. Yeah, um, it is really like, you know, like, what if you guys released the Dread Collection, and then out of nowhere, some indie, like, I guess, like, what's what's the one with the Jumping Bean characters that everyone's playing right now? Oh, Fall Guys? Fall Guys. Like, is, is Fall Guys a competitor to you, technically, right now? Not really. No, I'll tell you what happened, though. This, this is, when the first game came out, we released the first game um, uh, May 25th, mm-hmm. and... May 27th is when the George Floyd killing protests started. Oh, man. And, like, look, I I didn't mean to release a game right before the police kept killing unarmed people in the United States. Um, But we sure as hell couldn't talk about our game when when that was the conversation. Sure, right. Like, you want to promote your stuff, but, you know, everybody was giving, you know, people crap for, like, this is what you really care about right now? And, like, you're like, well, it's my job at the moment, so yes, but, you know, you can't say that, you know? Let me me put it this way, is that I wasn't comfortable advertising the game during that climate. It wasn't like the Twitter, it wasn't like I was afraid of the Twitter mobs coming after me. Um, Which, I mean, I am, because, like, who isn't? Because that's just fucking terrifying. Right. But, like, I wasn't really, like, the reason I, I, I didn't promote it was because I didn't feel like it was appropriate. Yeah, I don't know. I get that. I mean, we had already we were already well into the production of the second one at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, well into the production isn't really accurate. We were we had gathered the team for the second, and we were moving into the contract signing phase. Gotcha. Um, but you know, I I didn't. I was like, look, we have another one coming up. We have another window for advertisement. Like, I don't want to try to. I don't. I don't think it's appropriate to be pushing out my game and saying, "Hey, play this, play this, play this," when this is what everyone. This is where people's focus rightfully is. Yes. And um, 
And you can't do anything about that. Like, you can either keep advertising and basically... Shoot yourself in the foot. Well, not even shoot yourself in the foot. Sell your soul, really. Yeah. I mean, like, look, I get it. It's my job to promote the game. But, like, there's things that are more important than, like, my job. Mm -hmm. And that is, like... I was I was like delivering water to Black Lives Matter protesters, like because I do that. Like that's, oh, that's I don't awesome. really. Well, I, yeah, I don't. I didn't really want to go get COVID by standing in crowds, um, and I didn't really want to like get shot because like I I um I employ people now. Like I have to like worry about like if I get shot, then like people don't have jobs. Right. Yeah. Um, like you want to go out there. So like, well, what is the best thing to do? You know, like that's, yeah, a, that's so a great I, option option too. you know, I deliver, yeah, I deliver water because people need water and you know, it's good. But like when, when that was all happening, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to go deliver water. I didn't want to like market my game. And I guess there's something to be said for being able to, let, let me, let me put it this way. If Epic pictures came to me and said, you have to keep marketing this, I could have done my job. But I'm fortunate enough to be working for a company that does not ask that of me. And that's, that's one of the reasons why I love working for this company and doing what we do. Yeah, I got introduced to the uh, the head of, of Epic when I was out in L.A. last time, and he was a really sweet, nice guy. So, uh, Patrick? Yes. Yeah, he was at he was at uh, it was at a, a friend's a mutual friend's uh, party out there and uh, yep. barking grabbed me. He goes, hey, I want to you introduce you to somebody. So he was, he was a really yep. nice guy. Yeah. Um, He's been insanely supportive of this whole process. Um, we really couldn't do this without the financial backing of uh, Epic Pictures Group and mm -hmm. uh, specifically Patrick Ewald. Uh, you know, he's 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 really, really, really given us the chance to show what we can do with just a little bit of funding. And um, I I think that you know, with how successful these last two games have been, it really it speaks for itself. And I just hope Absolutely. that we can continue to prove our worth to all of the uh you know all of the fans out there so there you go well ted thank you very much for jumping on the everyday selling podcast i really appreciate it and thank you for helping me out in the the late late hours of the night when i'm like this i don't know where this option is just you know it's, <laughs> it's five three six four five three okay gotcha thanks <laughs> yeah it's, it's like i i was just eating ice cream and watching deep blue sea so it was fine nice <laughs> well i appreciate right, guys. it guys dread collection 2 is out now on steam you can get it uh and yeah I'm, we're, we're looking to uh, what's coming up next and i'll be sure to have you on the show to talk about that yeah thanks for talking to me man i'll talk to you later i want to thank ted for coming on the show i really appreciate it and i also want to thank aaron lovett for sending over the book uh we'll thank uh steve harrington for his amazing hair and thank you all so much for stopping in and enjoying the everyday Halloween podcast this month i'm gonna have more including more stuff over on the patreon page as always there'll be some new music for your haunted halloween decorating times so hop on over there and, and listen to those shows um and yeah just wanted to say uh thank you for everything um i want to promote the uh twitch page if you guys are into horror gaming i stream monday through friday over on uh, twitch.tv backslash horror underscore guy. You can check me out over there. Uh, the Patreon is patreon.com backslash horror guy. Uh, make sure to follow the Mutants and Monsters Discord uh, where we watch movies every Friday night. We are keeping this horror community going all the way through Halloween. Damn you if you say Halloween is canceled because it is not. Halloween 2020 is not canceled. Here I say it. All right. Enjoy this music from the new Bill and Ted Face the Music soundtrack. This is Lamb of God. Peace.